to you again, to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings of arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. Thus conscience doth make cowards of us all. Now, how many of you understood that? No, no, don't. No, just, how many of you understood what I, I mean, I'm not talking about you were able to hear what I said. How many of you understood what I said? Okay, so this is a soliloquy from Hamlet. Shakespeare wrote it. He wrote it in 1603. It was first performed in 1609. And the people in that day understood perfectly what he said because it was their language. Everybody say their language. Now, the King James Version Bible was written in 1611. How many of you have ever come across a passage that you found, you found it difficult to understand? Hold your hand up. Okay, here's what I want you to get at. This is what I'm trying to get at. I, and I, I think what Rachel came up and said was so appropriate because sometimes we pick up the Bible and we're trying to understand it and we're not getting it and then we begin to feel like, well, I'm dumb or, or I, I just, you know, I, I'm just, you know, how come I can't understand this? It's not, do you understand, you're, you're, you're leaping 400 years in language trying to understand something. Now, for King James, for those believers in that time, this was the most precious gift that had been given to them because the language, the Bible was in Latin, it was in Greek, it was in Hebrew. There were those that opposed this translation. They did not want the king to authorize it. They wanted people to stay in darkness so they could tell them and be the only ones that shed light on what they wanted to shed light on, but then keep you in darkness where they could control you. Now hear me. There's no shame in struggling to understand. But when you don't understand something, you need to dig it out. Say it with me, dig it out. So I'm in, I, I went through school, I loved math, I took algebra, one and two. Nobody, no, I, I love numbers, but I didn't like figures and shapes. So I did not take geometry. And nobody told me that I was going to need geometry if I was going to take trigonometry. So my first year in college, I sign up for trigonometry. I sit in the class, and man, I am telling you, I am shell-shocked. I got no clue what this instructor is saying, and he looks like he has no interest in explaining it to me. So I got up and I dropped that class and went and picked it up in night, a night class. Everybody say nighttime. I mean, it's bad enough when you got to go to school in the daytime, but when you choose to go at night, the reason I went at night was because the instructor told me he would explain it to me. Everybody say, explain it to me. So what I want to do is I want to take a passage that we read that's pretty straightforward. And I think it's important because it's the first recorded message that we have of Jesus preaching. He takes his disciples to a mountain and it becomes known as the Sermon on the Mount. We... we read it oftentimes, but I, I, I think sometimes that we miss what he's saying there and what he's laying out for us. When he begins to talk about the, the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's also known as what? The Beatitudes. Everybody say the Beatitudes. The, the word blessed that precedes each of these verses it's the Latin, the, came, uh, from a Latin word that is beatus, and it's, that's where we get our word beatitude from. 
for those that heard it in Jesus' day, this was a very powerful word. It's not just like saying bless that, that you, you see. This was powerful. It had a deeper meaning. The word itself meant divine joy. Everybody say divine. It meant divine joy and perfect happiness. The word was not used for humans. It was used to describe the kind of joy that only God's experienced and the dead. For that day, you remember Romans believed there were many gods, right? And, and there's, so when, when people heard him say this, they're hearing him reference something that in their ears, they're thinking this is only for the gods. Well, we know there's only one God, right? But what about the dead? Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, I'm dying to live. You know, for you to really live for Christ, you're going to have to die to self. And so he lays out something for them that they can experience if they're willing to come after him. Everybody say to come after him. Now, we know that when we get into the Beatitudes, it's blessed is poor in spirit. They're going to blessed are the, those who mourn, blessed are the meek and all that. And, and we, if we're not careful, we read that. And we're applying that across the board to everyone that's poor in spirit, everyone that's meek, everyone that mourns. That is not who he. That, that is not what he was speaking of. He not in the not in the context that we think. What he's saying is he's saying, I'm making available to you something that can be yours if you get the right attitude. Everybody say attitude. How many of you in this place have ever had an attitude problem? Wave your hand if you've ever had an attitude problem. If you're not waving your hand and you're lying, no, I'm kidding. Have you ever had an attitude problem? Let me, let me share something with you. You know that uh, Barnum did a study. They, you know, they, they always do these stats. And they just recently reported that people that claim to be Christian, and I mean committed Christians, only attend church 60% of the time. Those are people that claim to be committed Christians, and they attend church 60% of the time. I just started wondering about that, and I was wondering how that would play out in a marriage. If you showed up at home 60% of the time and the other 40% your spouse didn't know where you were, how do you think that would play out for you guys? <laughs> what, if you, what if you took that approach to your work? What if you showed up to work 60% of the time? I've got a feeling that would lead to two things, divorce and unemployment. Because both those parties want you committed. And God wants us Committed. Everybody say committed. What I'm, what I'm trying to show you here and th is that there is something that's going on in our culture and in our day that we used to not deal with. And, and part of that is about commitment, about that recognizing what the Scripture said, to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is and much more as you see the day approaching. I was working with a young man and he I don't know what had happened. He was, you know, he, he was attending church. Man, the guy was a powerful, uh, he, he, he would literally himself pack a bus full of kids. Sixty-something kids he was taking to that church. Something happened. I don't know what it was. And he, he just one day came into work and he said, uh, I, I said, well, how's church going? He said, oh, I don't go to church anymore. I said, what? He said, I don't go down there. He said, I, he, I don't have to go to church. He said, I've got enough to take care of me. He said, I, I've got enough relationship with God to take care of me. I said, I said you, you've got enough relationship to take care of you and your, your, and your family? Yeah, I've got enough relationship with God. For, I, I've got enough to take care of me and my family. I said, are you telling me? I said, let me get this straight. You're telling me you got enough relationship with God to take care of you and your family? He said, that's right. I looked at him. I said, you're the most selfish individual I've ever met in my life. 
His eyes got real big, and I looked at him. I said, you got a relationship like that with God, and you won't go to church and share it with others? You see, this isn't always about us. It's about our attitude. Because your altitude is always determined by your attitude. I've seen some folks, or I, I say not seen, I haven't seen, I've read about some folks that never got off the ground because of their attitude. What are you talking about? They got thrown off the plane. Literally, man, I've read stories about they took people off the plane because of their attitude and would not let them fly. So here's what I want to do. I want to go through the book of um, Matthew today, not all of it, just the Beatitudes. Everybody say, Whew. So I, I want to go through and I want to look at these and I want to show you maybe something that you haven't looked at before or seen before. Because all of this is in, you know, we, when we think about people that are blessed, we think about, oh, well, blessed are the rich, you know, because they're going to, they get everything. But that's not what Jesus said. And Jesus didn't say, blessed are those that have nothing. He didn't say, blessed are the poor. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He didn't say, blessed is the braggart or the proud. And he didn't say, blessed is the mealy mouth or, or those that are always putting themselves down and, and, and it's kind of a false pride. And that's not what he says. This is what he says. Watch this. Blessed are the, did we get that on PowerPoint for them? Here's the attitude. I, I'm going to deal with the attitude and then the beatitude. Are you ready? So the first attitude he addresses is the attitude that we have toward ourselves. How do you feel about yourself? How many of you have ever met somebody that was stuck on themselves? You know what I'm talking about? They walked around. You know, how many of you used to watch Happy Days? I was just waiting for the word to come out, Fonzie. You, you, know, you know when it, when it rolled out, he'd pull that comb out of his pocket and he'd go, Hey. <laughs> Stuck on himself. But then the, how many of you have ever met someone else that was always down in the mouth running themselves down? Neither one of those weighs outright with Christ. That's the wrong attitude. Everybody say the wrong attitude. So let's take a look at the attitude toward ourselves. Watch what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, he is saying those who recognize their spiritual poverty and wretchedness. They realize that their soul is undone and lost without him. Everybody say, that's blessed. Everybody say, they're blessed. Well, how in the world could you be blessed if you're undone and lost without him? Because you recognize that you're lost and undone without him. So that beatitude goes into the next one. Now, stay here with me because these two coincide together. So the next attitude is our attitude toward our sin. Blessed are they that mourn. When you think it's okay to live any way you want to live, then you have the wrong attitude towards sin. I remember when I was hitting my teen years, 18 years old, and I, I went through a time that uh, I was struggling. I, I, was, I hadn't made a, com, a complete commitment to Christ yet, and I, but I, I was going to church Sunday, cuckoos, Saturday night. You know, everybody say the disco duck. <laughs> I, I was, I, I, now this was back then, okay, so don't hold, you can't, I've been forgiven. <laughs> I was lying about my age to get in. You had to be, I think it was 21 to get in there. I can't remember. I, I wasn't, I, I was like 16 or something. And, and they were not carding me. And I, I was going in and, and I was there with my cousin and 
I was real cool. I was real miserable is what I was. Because the Bible said that the way of a transgressor is hard. And God wants you to acknowledge. If we don't have the right attitude toward our sin, we're never going to be forgiven from our sin. Right? But if we recognize, if we're poor in spirit, if we realize how broken and devastated we are, and then we mourn. The word mourn means to grieve. How many of you have ever done something that you grieved about? I mean, you would have given anything to be able to walk it back. You, would, you, you grieved over it. You, you, I can't believe I did that. I'm, and I'm telling you, there is something about when you come into the presence of God. And when Rachel was talking about that today, and I thought this is so perfect because God is not looking at everything that's wrong with you. He's wanting you to see that, to come to him like she talked about, and then trust him. And guess what happens? <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit for what? For they're going to, in the, the, theirs is the what? The kingdom of heaven. Everybody say the kingdom. They get the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they mourned, they grieved, and they're comforted. Therefore, given. How many of you have ever felt comfort when someone forgave you? They will be comforted for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. He presents his first sermon, letting them know there's something you can have that you don't have right now, but you have to recognize that you don't have it in order to be able to get it. Has anyone in here ever seen someone that needed help and they wouldn't admit they needed help? Ever try and help somebody care? I got it, I got it. Somebody trying to, you know, carry a big box. You need, a, you need a hand with it? No, I got it. It's got you. <laughs> and that's what happens with us with our sin and, and, and with our way of life. It's got a hold of us and we don't recognize that we need help getting free from it. Everybody said, whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. Everybody give them a hand clap of praise. They're free indeed. Now, he moves on, and the next attitude is our attitude towards submission. It says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's our attitude towards submission. Everybody say meek. The word translated meek was used by the Greeks to describe a horse that had been broken. It refers to power under control. The horse has surrendered its power to the control of the rider. How many of you remember George Lee that was here a few weeks ago preaching for us? His daddy, we, we went out to ride horses, and, and he's trying to, his dad's saddling this horse, and this horse is rearing up on its hind legs and, you know, and pawing. And I'm thinking, my goodness, man, who's going to ride that? They put me on that horse. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? They said, you know how to ride a horse? I said, I barely know what one looks like. <laughs> they put me on that horse. And then his dad said, if, if these beasts knew how powerful they were, they'd never let an old man like me get on its back. Power under control. We rode all day long, we riding around there, I was feeling like John Wayne. All of a sudden, we came to this ditch, and I was watching all their horses, and all their horses walked down into the ditch and then back up the other side. And about that time, George Lee's dad hollered at me and said, you might want to hold on here. This horse has kind of got a mind of its own. I grabbed hold of the saddle about the time that horse jumped the ditch. He wasn't walking down nothing, man. He leaped across. I come up out of that saddle, hanging on, trying to act cool. (laughs) 
power under control. We got close to the barn, and I was feeling a little confident now. And I, I made a mistake, and I went, get up! I'm telling you, this horse had no shocks on it. That horse took off, man, it took off running to the barn. I am, have you ever, have you ever rode a horse at full gallop and you didn't have a clue what you were doing? You can hurt yourself. I'm telling you that horse is throwing me up and I'm trying, I'm trying to get in rhythm with it. And I thought, I know there's, I've seen them do this in cowboy movies. <laughs> trying to find the rhythm. Power under control. He was headed for the fence, and I thought, buddy, I am off this horse's back if he jumps this fence. <laughs> he stopped. You know why he stopped? Because I told him. No. <laughs> he stopped because he knew I didn't know what I was doing, I think. And he kept his power under control. Now, let me illustrate it for you this way. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. An army of over 400 men come to apprehend him. He stands one man against a band of soldiers, more than 400. And he said he walked out, he did not back off from them he did not hide from them he did not run from them he stepped toward them and said who do you seek and they said jesus of nazareth and he goes i am he and when he did he laid 400 men flat on their back and the same word that put them on the ground could have put them under the ground. My friend, that is power under control. Do you know why it's under control? Because he said, not my will, but thy will be done. It was about submission. Jesus had surrendered his will to the will of God. And because he had surrendered his will to the will of God, he's not after what he wants anymore. He's after what God wants. And that's why he's able to walk through that without taking them out. He surrenders himself. He becomes meek. Amen. Moses was a meek man. But when Moses stood against Korah, and all those that were trying to rebel against God. He looked at them. He did not back away from them. There are hundreds, if not thousands of them. He steps toward them and says, if this man dies an ordinary death, then God hasn't spoken by me at all. But if something unusual happens today and the earth opens up and swallows him and his family, then you're going to know that God sent me. Man, as soon as he said it, it happened. Power under control. Because God was going to wipe the whole bunch of them out. And he said, God, don't do it. Lest people say that you brought us out here and because you couldn't deliver the land to us that you destroyed us in the wilderness. Not my will. You know, that's one of the biggest challenges we have is surrendering. Everybody say submission. It's hard for us to submit, isn't it? It's, we, we want our way. How many of you have ever gotten into it over what you're going to eat for dinner? You, you don't have to raise your hand on that because I, I see you're not going to anyway. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, well, let's go have some chicken. I don't want no chicken today. Well, well, what do you want? I, I, I want to eat fish. I don't feel like fish. Well, we always have chicken. How come we can't never have no fish? Well, let's go to McDonald's, and I'll get a chicken sandwich, and you get a fish sandwich. You know what I'm talking about? I, we, we don't want 
to surrender. How many of you as children wanted to dress yourself for school? How many of you got into trouble at times because you, would, you did not want to submit or surrender your will to the will of your mother or your parent? See, all you had to do was come and talk to me. And I could have tell, I could have told you, whatever she lays out, wear it. Because it's worked well for me. Everybody say surrender. Let's move on. So God wants to know our attitude toward ourselves, toward our sin, and toward our submission. And he says, if, if you're willing to come under me, you can inherit the kingdom. You, you can be comforted. You, you can experience things that you never thought were possible when we're willing to surrender to God. Everybody say surrender to him. When it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall what? Inherit the earth. Now, let me share this with you, and I'm going to move on. So in Luke, the 18th chapter, because this is about submission, Peter steps up and he says, Lord, he said, look, he said, we, you remember the, 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 parable, or the story about the rich man that, you know, Jesus tells him you lack one thing, and, and, and all of a sudden he walks away because he's got a lot of stuff, and but he doesn't want to surrender. And, he sa- and, and Jesus makes a statement. He said, well, he said, you know, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And everybody said, well, well then who can be saved? And, and, and Jesus makes a statement. He said, what's impossible with man is possible with God. God can do it. And then Peter spoke up and he said, well, Lord, we, we've forsaken all for you. And Jesus answers him. And let me, I'm going to condense it for you, all right? Because he goes through any names, houses, lands, you know, mother, father, and all. What Jesus is saying is this, is no man has ever surrendered and submitted to me that he hasn't received in back a hundredfold in this present life and eternal life in that to come. What's he saying? He's saying, so the meek shall inherit. When you surrender and submit to God, he gives you an inheritance right here and now. He, how many of you found out that when you did surrender to God, all of a sudden your life started being blessed? All of a sudden, things just started happening. I mean, and when we talk about surrender, we're not just talking about our decision. We're talking about our finances, we're talking about, well, you, you believe in giving a tenth? No, I believe in giving all. Everything I have belongs to him. So the tenth is just so he can see whether or not he can trust you. And so he's checking you out because if he can't trust you with 10%, why is he going to bless you with more? It's about trust. It's about surrender. It's about submission. And he said, when you do that, I'm going to heap up on you. He said, it'll be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Everybody say, I want that kind of life. So the next attitude is our attitude toward the things of God. Listen to what he says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Are you hungry for the things of God? Do you hunger and thirst and long for something? Do you crave it? Do you crave righteousness, God's justice, that that which is right in the eyes of God? He said, if you're hungry for that, sometimes we're hungry for our own stuff, right? Because Proverbs said that every way of man is right in his own eyes. But this isn't about what's right in our eyes. It's about what's right in the eyes of God. In the Good News Bible, Matthew 5 and 6 is translated this way. 
Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do God, what God requires. God will satisfy them fully. Blessed, when he said this, this divine blessing, this divine favor, this, this divine happiness can be yours if you're hungry for the right thing. Everybody say, I want the right thing. How many of you, when you were a child, wanted your dessert before you ate the meal? Right? You always wanted, you wanted the, we called it the good stuff first. But if all you eat is ice cream, is it good for you? See, just because something tastes good doesn't mean it's good for you. Right? I mean, ice cream is wonderful, but if that's all you eat, your teeth are going to rot out of your head. You're going to, you, you, your, your body is going to be dying because you're not giving it what it needs. And guess what happens? When we don't feed our spirit man the right thing, we start dying too. But if I'm hungry and thirsty for the right thing, he said, I'm going to be filled with it. Everybody stay filled with it. The next thing he touches on is our attitude toward others. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. When we show compassion, we are shown compassion. Mark 11 and 26 tells us that if we don't forgive others, God will not forgive us. I'm, I'm telling you, this one is really a... An eye-opener when you remember it see sometimes we forget that's why the book of Deuteronomy goes through and repeats the book of Leviticus it's basically it's it's like it's it's giving it to you all over again because how many of you have to tell your children more than once we're we're the same way aren't we we have to be told more than once I can't tell you how many times I have to let Debbie know Just reverse that and you'll have it right. She'll, you know, I, I tell her, she'll call me up and say, pick such and such up. I said, text it to me. Text it to me because I will never remember. We, we tend to forget unless it's something we really want to remember, right? How many of you have ever forgotten your birthday? You know what? I, I mean, I'm not talking about wanting to forget it. I'm talking about actually forgot. Oh, to, you get to the end of the day, June 24th. Oh, I was born today. No, you, you don't forget those things, but there are things that we, how many of you remember the day you were born again? See, a lot of us may not. And if I'm going to be honest with you, I don't remember the date. I remember what happened I remember the month, I think. But it's because there are some things that we have to be reminded of over and over and over. How many of you need to be reminded that you're saved? Oh, come on, usually on a daily basis if you drive in St. Louis. You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic and you have to be reminded, I'm saved, I can't do that. You have to be reminded when the boss is up in your face and telling you off, I'm saved, I can't. I remember even as a young man looking at somebody, I said, you ought to thank God I'm saved. <laughs> Got to remember. Everybody say remember. And when we remember our attitude toward others, I'll never forget, I've shared this before, but let me share it again. Everybody say you get to do that when you're old. Well, let me just put it this way so we can all relate to it. Have you, have you ever seen someone that did something or read about somebody that did something in the news and in your heart you immediately made a judgment call like with Jeffrey Dahmer or John Wayne Gacy or, you know, something, and, and you thought, man, they ought, to, they ought to just do that to him. 
they ought to, they, they, anybody ever been there? Come on, talk to me. Have you, have you been there? I was, I was, I was doing that in a Walmart. I was, I'd read a tabloid about a woman that had pushed her children off in the river. And I said in my heart, I didn't even speak it out loud. I just said in my heart, they ought to put her in a car and push her off in a river so she can see what that was like. And I'm telling you, I no more thought it than God brought it to me and said, that's what she needs, somebody else to hate her. And I stopped right in my tracks. I didn't even realize I was doing that. And he said, blessed, this is what came to me, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And the way you judge others is the way I'm going to judge you. I said, God, I am sorry. And I began to pray for that woman. Sometimes we want mercy, but we're not willing to extend it to others. He said, this is an attitude adjustment. You've you've got to love others the way you love yourself. He said, the two greatest commandments hang on this, loving God and loving others. And so if you want that joy and that divine experience that he's talked about earlier, if you want that beatitude, that blessedness, you've got to adjust to his will and his way. And then finally, he says, our attitude toward our thoughts. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Everybody say our thoughts. The word pure there means clean. The word heart is your thinking or your thought process. You don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many of you have ever had an unclean thought? The reason I'm not having you raise your hands is because there's nobody in here that hasn't had an unclean thought at some point in time. And he says, blessed are the clean the pure thoughts, those that, that, that think right, that we're in trouble when we think what fills our head doesn't matter. Listen to what Paul tells us in Romans 12 and 2. This is from the message. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Everybody say, my thoughts. Paul warns us about the wrong thought process. In Romans 7 and 23, he says, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. How many of you have ever struggled with thinking wrong? You know what's right, but your thinking is going to what's wrong. Somebody does something to you, you know what the right thing to do is, but you're battling with the unclean thought. Somebody does something, says something, and, and, and you know you need to forgive them, but you're battling with, I'd like to take them out back. The pure thought, because here's the danger. If you let it hang out in your heart, it's going to get into your actions. It's going to become a part of you. Philips, or Philippians 4 and 8. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Do you know you have to train yourself to think the right way? How many of you realize that? You have to train yourself to think the right way. Nobody has to train you to think the wrong way. It just comes natural. But you have to train yourself to think the right way. My dad used to say, if you don't have something good to say about someone, don't say anything at all. And how many times have you had to apologize because you were saying the wrong thing? Because your thoughts, your, your thinking, your emotions get tied up in it and you You have to let it go. Everybody say, let it go. Finally, what is your attitude toward confusion? 
It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Guarding the peace in your home should be a high priority. There are some people that love drama. Some people are not content unless they're stirring something up. And you have to back away from that. The Bible said to know those that labor among you. You need to guard peace. God's not the author of confusion. Matthew 5 and 9 in the message is, says it this way. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. If there's something going on, you shouldn't start siding off. You should be trying to heal and bring together. He said, as much as it's in you, live at peace with all men. As much as it's in you, as much as you're able to. Don't let someone rob you of your peace. Don't let someone rob you of your thought process, your pure thoughts. You know, that, that first word, that beatitude, I talked to you about divine joy and perfect happiness. It implies an inner satisfaction and sufficiency that is not dependent on outward circumstances for happiness. Everybody say, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. I'm going to live a blessed life. The last thing he did is he said, blessed, you're blessed when people revile you and persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Everybody say falsely. He didn't say you're blessed if they're speaking it about you and it's the truth. He said you're blessed if they're attacking you and it's a false accusation. So the question is, what is our attitude when we're under attack? Have any of you ever been attacked before? You know what I'm talking about, verbally or something? How many of you have ever had somebody say something about you? Wave your hand if anybody's ever said something about you. How many of you would like to come up here and tell me what they said? <laughs> See, a lot of times what happens is when somebody talks about us, we're, whoo, let me tell you what. And, and all that does is it stirs it all up again. And so our attitude when we're under attack is going to determine whether or not we're blessed. He said, you don't worry about it. He said, don't, he said if they're doing that falsely against you, he said, you need to what? You need to rejoice. Be glad. Everybody say, be glad. He said, for great is your reward. When's the last time somebody talked about you and you went, whoa, thank you, Jesus. It runs contrary, doesn't it? But that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if you get this, if you understand that your life is not about what you're going through at the moment, your life is wrapped up in me and it's for me and my house, we're going to serve God. I've got my mind made up. Rachel said, there may be some stuff going on, but God knows what's going on and he loves me. He's taking care of it. Is there anybody in here that knows how to walk on water? Anybody in here that you have never slipped or fallen since you gave your heart to God? Is there anybody in here that's ever met someone that acted like they'd never slipped or fallen since they gave their heart to God? Have you, met, have you ever met someone that acted like they walked on water? Blessed are the poor in spirit. We're right back to where we started. The Bible said that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is what I want you to get. God wants us to live a blessed life. But in order to live that blessed life, we have to have the right attitude in life. And that attitude is going to determine how we excel in Christ. Would you stand with me right now? So here's my question. How many of you would like to be closer than you were before? 
closer to God than you were before. How many of you would like to be able to experience more joy than you've ever experienced in your life? Wave your hand at me if you want that. Well, we can't have that. Sure we can. Let me share this with you and we're going to pray. But I want you to get ready to come because what you're going to do today, you're going to come and you're going to ask God for an attitude adjustment. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, you really need to pray for an attitude adjustment for me. <laughs> We need an attitude adjustment. Let me share this with you. This just happened recently. There was a, a female police officer in Dallas that got off work, and when she got off work, she went into the wrong apartment. The door was open. She walked in, and she killed the occupant of that apartment. She said she thought she was in her apartment, and she killed this man. And it's, it's been all up in the news. And, but there's something that the news didn't show all of. And that was at the trial. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And she'd made the statement. She, she was literally, you know, she, I mean, think about it. If you killed someone accidentally to try and have to live with that. The family, this young man that she killed had, must have been an extraordinary young man because he had an extraordinary brother. And she wouldn't, she felt like she could never survive, she would never make it. She even asked the judge after she'd been sentenced, do you think there's any hope for me that my life would ever amount to anything? But during that trial, at the end of it, families are allowed to testify. Oftentimes they do it in hopes of causing the punishment to be more severe. This young man's brother took the stand and he told her, he said, I wish you no ill. I know that my brother would want what's best for you. He said, I, I love you. I don't hate you. He said, I can't speak for all my family. I'm just speaking for me. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but what my prayer would be is that you give your life to Jesus, that you're able to surrender your life to Christ and, 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 and find that peace, that joy that, that only he can bring. And the news didn't report that part. They just reported the fact that he got up then and he looked at the judge and he said, is it all right if I hug her? Could I give her a hug, please? Maybe I didn't quite understand this before, but I know, you know, my wife is the hugginess thing you ever saw. When we first came here, she started hugging everybody, and I know a lot of you were like, night, man, what's... But now you go looking for a hug because there's something about a hug that makes you know that you're loved and you're cared for and you matter. And this boy whose brother had been murdered got permission and walked over and hugged that girl. And when he did, she broke and started crying and held on to him because she felt like she could never be loved. She could never be forgiven. And here is a man that is, that is allowing her to experience it. Blessed are those that mourn. He was grieved at the loss of his brother, but not grieved to the point that he wasn't willing to show mercy. And when he showed it, she experienced a touch of God. Because I'm telling you that God's mercy is felt by the extension of our hand. So if you're in here today and you say, Pastor, I want that 
that divine joy. I want that happiness that's not connected to my present situation. I want to know God in a way that causes me to become different from the inside out. I've been hurt. I've had people say stuff. But this isn't about me. He was hurt. He was beaten. He was condemned to die. And in that moment, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Blessed are those that choose Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That is our great beatitude. If you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for that attitude adjustment. I want you to move forward right now very quickly, very quickly. Come quick, come quick. I need God to tweak me a little bit. You ever have an engine that was off time? Need to go in and get the timing set, get it right. You know, I get things right most of the time, but I got this little, I got the, uh, every once in a while, I need to be tweaked. Everybody say tweaked. Once in a while, I say something I ought not say. Surely not. Every once in a while, I, I get a little frustrated. Not Doris. Once in a while, I, somebody cuts me off in traffic, I forget to smile and say, Jesus loves you. I need an adjustment. Now, I want you to hear me because God knows the desire of your heart. And if you want it, he's going to give it to you because he said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, the right thing, because you're going to be filled. How about we get filled up today? Is that okay? So just raise your hands right now and say, God, just pour it on me. Just, just, just Lord, let, let me see myself the way that you see me, God. Show me those things that I need to adjust. Show me the things I need to get right. God, touch me today. I want people to see my life, and when they see me, I want them to see you. I want them to think about you. Let me reflect your love. Let me be an example, Father, so that when people see me, they know you're real. That it's not someone I'm talking about. It's someone that's living inside of me. Here I am. Come on, wave those hands a little bit. Here I am, God. Here I am. I want it right here, right now. Do it in me, Father. Do it in me. Because I know that this is going to change my life forever. Father, we thank you for it right now, God, for the work that you're doing in us. God, we praise you for it. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. chapter when he gets done we're not the fifth chapter this goes on for a few chapters it goes on through chapter 6 chapter 7 and at the end of his teaching the Bible said that those people looked at him at the end of chapter 7 
that when he'd ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority. God has authority over every aspect of our lives, over every situation. There's nothing, there's nothing that has gotten out of his hand. There's nothing that you're facing that he hasn't already got worked out if you'll just walk it out. Everybody say, I choose to walk it out. I'm going to walk it out right now. As a matter of fact, just take it. Come here a minute, would you? Come, come with me. As you stretch your hands to heaven with me right now, there's some things that you need to walk out. And you need to know that God's already got it worked out. He's got it worked out. Just walk it. Don't, I don't want this fear to well up in your hearts. I, I, don't, I don't want that that anxiety that I just want you to be in perfect peace I just to trust Lord I don't know how this is going to come out but I trust you and I, I don't even know what I'm talking about right now but I'm assuming you do you've had a lot of sleepless nights God wants to put all that to rest right now are you ready for it I want you to say it with me, Lord, I trust you. Now remember, that means blessed are the meek. It's about submitting, submission. But I surrender. I surrender my will to your will. I want you to watch the hand of God bring these pieces together. Church, would you stretch your hands to heaven and love him with you? Take up my cross, Jesus. For you are my God, whatever the cost, sing Jesus. Oh, I surrender all. I surrender all. It's easy to say, but it's another thing to do it. And I can promise you this, that until you surrender all, you're not going to see the shift that you're wanting to see. Things are not going to come in place the way you're desiring them to come in place until your surrender because it's hinged on our attitude. When we've got the right attitude about ourselves, the right attitude about God, the right attitude about others, then God reaches in and begins to do His work. But until that day, we continue to struggle and we bob up and down and we feel like we're fighting to keep our head afloat. And all the time, God is saying, just surrender to me. Just surrender to me because I want to rescue you. I want you to raise your hands to heaven right now and say this with me. God, I choose to surrender all today. I recognize that you're the head and I'm the body. And wherever you turn, I'm going to follow. Whatever you ask, 
I'm going to do. And I praise you for the opportunity in Jesus' name. Come on, give me a hand clap of praise in this house. God bless you. Share Christ with someone this week. Let them know they're loved and blessed beyond.